Welcome to episode nine of Better with Paul. Now today I'm beyond excited because I feel like I'm breaking a story. Now we are going to highlight someone who has had some press, but I don't believe she's ever had anyone dissect her career and her thoughts like this. Today, I'm bringing you the story of the woman who is the founder and CEO of one of the fastest growing companies, not just in the United States, but in the world. And on top of that, she's only 27 years old. And on top of that, she's from Trinidad, or should I say she's second generation. Her mom is, but you know, we represent us second generation kids. We always represent, I'm second generation Jamaican, you know, so The bottom line is, this is someone who you need to know. This is someone who actually we need to celebrate, we need to uplift. But more important than that, this is someone who's going to be able to teach you how to build your business and your brand. I want you to get ready for the incredible story of Janelle Coy. I believe I'm about to hear a story that's going to blow my mind, right? In terms of, because what you've done, what you've accomplished is truly world-class, right? Without, without question. But I haven't seen that your story overexposed. Yeah. You're kind of like this hidden gem. Yeah. I'm just doing the work. I'm just behind the scenes doing the work. (laughs) See? 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 This is what I'm saying, though, is that many of us are out here not with our head down doing the work. Yeah. And this this is what you do. But looking at stalking the IG, (laughs) it looks like you like to travel as well. Oh, I love to travel. Yeah. 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 Not not right this second. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I love seeing you travel with your mom. I saw that as well. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom lives abroad. And so. She moved, my mom moved to China in um, 2017. Okay. So, you know, she retired and was like, my kids are grown. Like, I'm gone. (laughs) I'm out of here. So I was like, okay. So I'm too. I'm, you know, I'm going to do some back and forth. So, yeah. 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 So, so this is, so, so your mom, though, she's from Trinidad, isn't she? Yeah. My mom is Trinidadian. All right, there we go. So this is good. This is a good vibe, right? Yeah. So now, how do you identify? So my race is black. Um, okay. And I think it depends on who's asking in regards to ethnicity. Like if an African person or another West Indian person is asking, I'll probably say I'm West Indian American. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. All right. Just wanted to check. Just want to check. And also too, you know, when's the last time you had roti? Oh, man. So here's the thing. <laughs> And since you spend time in DC, you know this. There's only there's only one good roti shop in DC. It's oh. way up Georgia. Teddy's. Yes. And yeah. now that I live down here, it's like a day trip to go. <laughs> I used to live on 16th Street. And even from where I was at, it was like a 30-minute ride, even from where I was at. And from down here, it's it's not feasible. <laughs> it is. And it's not on DoorDash. And I have considered ordering over the phone and sending an Uber. And then you start, it starts looking like 100, 150 bucks. Cause you know, now, I don't know if you noticed, but a couple years ago, there was like a worldwide mandate that roti is now like $18. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about the mandate. It's terrible. Yeah. It's just the price just went up worldwide. They had a call, <laughs> they had a group call, and uh, the price just went up. And, um, but there is a place on H Street called Cane that okay. I've been able to get doubles and flory from. No roti though. Oh, dang! But I tell you, I hear you though. You you are too far, even for roti for good roti. I agree, you're too far for it. So yeah. I only do it like when my mom is in town, or like there's somebody that I'm trying to impress or something. <laughs> like a client thing going on in the office. There's a place they just put down here at the water called Bammy's. And it's, um, I think it's supposed to be Jamaican food. Uh, I think the chef or the person that made the menu may be Jamaican. 
you know, everything else. Is, mm. yeah. you, you lost me when you said, I think it's supposed to be Jamaican. I was like, yeah. And yeah. I've heard good, I've heard good things. But for me, when I look at the menu, I'm not like, oh, okay, I'm gonna pay $23 for that dish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Well, 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 I tell you the beauty of London is roti everywhere all day yeah. trinidadian yeah jamaican the whole caribbean massive like that. oh my god west it's, africa it's like toronto. yeah yeah it's like it's toronto yeah it's toronto yeah yeah but see yeah. this this is this is really good that you have you know that heritage because yeah. a lot of folks so we we have a great listenership from around the world right actually trinidad and tobago we are number one really number one there in the country, oh, yeah, number, number one, number one. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and and so the reason why I think so many people like to listen is because I try to dissect the minds of world class performers from throughout the diaspora, whether it be the Caribbean, the U.S., right, whatever. But every time I talk to someone in the U.S., there's that identification with, well, mm -hmm. I'm second generation Nigerian. Yeah. Or I'm, um, you know, second generation Ghanaian or whatever it may be. And I think that's that's that identification is important. Yeah. And so my question, my first question to you is, how did that identification impact your, you know, your identification with self growing up? You yeah. know, so for example, Jamaica, I have Jamaican heritage, yeah. right? I identified as a Jamaican. Yeah. American. So I was Jamaican first. Yeah. How did you identify growing up and how did that impact you growing up? That's a really good question because so uh, so we lived in Florida and I, okay. I was born in Virginia, but we moved to Florida right before I started middle school. And we moved to Florida and the rest of my mom's family lives in Florida. So I started getting more of the food and more of the music, Miami Carnival and stuff like that, that maybe my older sisters didn't get. And then also when I was in middle school, I met my first Caribbean friend and she, and we're still, we, we're still in contact today. She's half Jamaican and half Guyanese. And uh, so she was like the first like other kid that I met that had like a similar heritage. And that, so that was the first time that I had ever talked about it to a peer rather mm. than like hearing my mom and like aunts and stuff like that talk about it. So that was the first time like in my life uh, that I had ever formally identified um, as Trinidadian American. And so that was a really unique experience, like meeting her and her name's Michaela, meeting her and hearing her story and stuff like that. But even growing up, um, I always knew where we were from. My mom is very proud, you know, of her background. So she's Trinidadian, but lived in St. Croix for a while in the Virgin yeah. Islands. And so we would visit St. Croix and we like lived there for like a year, like in the nineties, like we traveled, we traveled a lot. And, you know, additionally, like, like a lot of other people from Trinidad, you know, where black Indian and Chinese and all that good stuff. And so I grew up knowing that, but I first like came into a place of pride for it when I met my first Caribbean friend. Wow. I love it. Shout out to Michaela. Michaela, shout out to you. Right. Shout out to you, Michaela. So now here, here's what I love to do. I like to zigzag in my conversations. Right. Yeah, I'm here for it. And I would love for you just to paint the current picture because, yeah. I mean, you preside over an empire, you know, for, for all intents and purposes. It's an empire. So can you can you break down this empire that you preside over. And everybody knows I like some numbers. I like some numbers. Janelle, you know I like some numbers. Yeah, yeah. Give, give, okay. us, give us some numbers as well. The current, the current empire. Yeah, so currently my company is called Sparrow, S-P-E-R-O. And I, I introduced that because it, didn't, it wasn't always called Sparrow. That's not what I called it when I, when I started it right out of college. And I was like just looking for something to do. So it's called Sparrow now. Um, depending on who we're talking to, sometimes we call it Sparrow Studio. Okay. So we're a creative and digital strategy studio. I started it right out of college, so 2014. Uh, and there's this really great uh, memory that I have because I was a fellow at a company called Widmire at the time. And um, it's I was on the pre-K to 12 education team doing PR. But I was their first fellow 
after they were acquired by a larger firm called Finn Partners, okay? So they had me doing like admin and operations things, but it worked out because that's how I learned <laughs> a lot of foundational things, but I wasn't very good at it. So they did not continue my fellowship, but I do still work with them today. So it's a great relationship. So <laughs> what I learned in that experience carried me through to here today. And I say that all the time. Even things as far as billing and spreadsheets, I learned. I admire. You learned it, all right. And, and we're and we're gonna we're going to go we're gonna go deep because because actually because it seems like they made they made perhaps a mistake by not having you continue, but then you wouldn't have become right the entrepreneur exactly, you are today. Exactly. So so just the snapshot yeah. of Spiro or Spiro Studios, as you say. Uh, yeah. So um, in 2020, we're doing 17 million dollars. Of revenue. Um, and that is in comparison to four years ago when we were doing $542,000 in revenue. So that's a 3000% revenue growth rate. Okay. So, so let me, let me just go back over that one okay. sentence because I think it needs, you know, a, a highlight. Maybe you can tell I'm shy of like, <laughs> yeah, a little highlight. So, so this is 2020. Yes. Right. So you're saying in 2014, you were doing Five hundred thousand in sales. Yes. Okay, that in itself is incredible because you were how old in twenty fourteen? I was twenty two. You were twenty six months out of graduation from Howard. Six months out of graduation from Howard, you were running a business doing half a million dollars in sales. Twenty fourteen. Today, you are twenty seven. Yes. Okay, I understand you have a birthday coming up too. I did. Yeah. <laughs> but right now. <laughs> Right now you're 27 Seven. and you preside over a company doing $17 million in revenue. Absolutely. Right. That's impressive. What about the staff yeah. areas of where you operate? What does that look like? Um, so we've got nine core team members all based here in DC. And so I like to break down my team into two sections, those who focus on commercial work and those who focus on government work. And the reason that I segment the government out is because uh, those team members are seated directly at the agencies they work with. Um, so we've got nine commercial team members and 14 government team members that are kind of separate out. And it's primarily, they're primarily at uh, Department of Transportation. Okay, this is fair. Yeah. So now what, what are the products and services that your company offers? Um, so we're doing creative and digital strategies. So that means everything, like when you see a campaign, online, a digital campaign, even a something on television, we're helping them get there from end to end. So that's helping to come up with the idea, come up with the graphics, logo, website, animations, things like that, um, all the way through pushing that campaign out and sometimes even spending ad dollars on their behalf to get that to go even further. So when we think through the different kinds of clients that we work with, one of my absolute favorites in the past was a line of nude heels for women of color called okay. Salone Monet. And there was a there was a great moment last year when Beyonce wore them. And they oh, were wow. and I was like, we did the photos for that shoe. So <laughs> I think Beyonce saw our photo. <laughs> I think she did. Something as exciting as that all the way through, you know, working on government work like uh, with the State Department, USAID, Department of Transportation. So we run the gamut. And uh, the reason that I like to do that, uh, because I know uh, a lot of firms in the communication space will focus on like a very specific niche and they want to dominate that niche. And I always say, you know, if we're doing cross sector, cross industry, I get to learn as much as possible from other fields, other spaces, um, and we can apply things across, you know, across uh, organizations that wouldn't otherwise be connected. You know, there was a time, 2018, I think where we were doing two really big projects at the same time. One of them was a State Department event that was out in California, the Global okay. Entrepreneurship Summit. And we were doing like logistics and comms logistics for them. So like very, you know, very strategic, kind of boring. But it's yeah, I was, yeah, I was about to say, you know, it doesn't sound too fun, that yeah. project. That <laughs> was cool. So we were doing that event. And then at the same time, we were doing a release for an album release for a gospel artist. And so we were doing those at the same time. And we were I was able to learn different things from both and apply them in ways that other folks wouldn't have been able to if they wouldn't have taken on those same two bodies of work at the same time. Right. And this 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 is interesting because yeah. I think traditionally in business we're taught 
stay within a niche, yeah. right? riches and niches, right? All this stuff and how you should be focused just within one category. But you're saying having products and services in different industries, yeah. that actually helps you within yeah. each. So this is, in, I think most people listening to this are going to say, this is incredible. She's 27 years old. She runs a company that's doing 17 million in sales. Yeah. But then also we've got to go back to that point of, well, you started the company right out of college. Yeah. At what point did you first begin to think of yourself as an entrepreneur and that you had the potential of running your own business? How old were you at that time? I would say maybe like 13 or 14. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So I, uh, my mom always encouraged us to think outside the box, try something new, start a little business on the side as a kid. And what my business was, my very first business prior to Spare, was that I used to make business cards for like okay. local businesses. Okay. okay. <laughs> and so my mom used to teach me how to do it. And we, we, I mean, they were made on like publisher and things like that, but she taught me how to print out receipts and things. <laughs> And that was just so fun to do as a kid. And, you know, the folks that bought, you know, they were like little packs of 40 and 100 and stuff like that. So it was definitely not, you know, the Vista print kind of quantity, but it was just so fun to do and such a learning experience. But that was I'm like doing something. Yeah. So this is interesting, Janelle. So at 13, you are designing business cards yeah. for local businesses. Yeah. Now, the biggest question I have for you is why? Because at 13, I was skateboarding. I was, I had about five girlfriends. So I didn't, I didn't manage all my girl. I mean, it's a lot at 13 to manage five girlfriends. Right. So, but I wasn't thinking about starting a business. So, so why did you start the business at 13? Yeah. So let's see when we focus on what kind of business, let me think. So I used to love to draw and design things on the computer and like make little flyers and things like that. And so I always used to like really kick butt on school projects. And then I, I think one day I just thought to myself, let me see if somebody else wants these. Okay. And really that was, and I told my mom and she was like, okay, let's do it. Let's see if somebody else wants these. Ah, <laughs> and we did it. And uh, the first person that we went to, let me see if I can remember the name. It was a, uh, it was like a used car dealership. It was my mom's friend, Tyrone. And he, <laughs> he, was, he, or he was from, he was from the, Caribbean, maybe not Trinidadian, but he was from the Caribbean, Tyrone, and it was called uh, like Rainbow Sales or Rainbow Cards or something like that in Tampa. <laughs> and he was my first client. We made cars for cut cards for him. Oh man, you know everybody needs Tyrone as their first client because Tyrone <laughs> card had a car on it, <laughs> like it had a little animated car on it, a hand drawn car. Wow, wow, <laughs> this is interesting. So your first client was Tyrone. Yeah. Right. The used car salesman, used car Tyrone. Yeah. At 13. All right. So now yeah. this is this is beautiful. So 13, you, you 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 start this thing. Now, did that then evolve until to additional business ideas? And did you just continue that theme or did you just stop the business at that point and go and do something else? Yeah, I think that was like a summertime thing and then moved on. But one of my experiences uh, from middle school and high school that was so unique that I think when I look back, just like truly impacted where I am today is that I was actually on an advisory board for a science museum in Tampa as a child. It's called the Museum of Science and Industry, MOSI, M-O-S-I. And okay. when I was in middle school, they started recruiting for a kid's advisory board because they were gonna build a kid's science museum. And so it was me and a group of like 20 or so. And so we helped to develop all of the concepts for this awesome kid's science center, wow. a, a, you know, award-winning nationally recognized science museum that's based in Tampa. And even some of the little exercises that we did, because we weren't just the advisory board, we were like the front facing team for the Science Center as they were being built. The woman that oversaw us, she was uh, like the director of research and grants, I think. Um, so she had us out there doing like interviews and we used to walk in the Gasparilla Kids Parade and like the Temple Terrace parades and stuff like that every season. And so we used to go to workshops to learn how to uh, shake hands and how to uh, speak in interviews. And this is like middle school and high school. 
And, you know, when I look back on that, I just realize how impactful that experience was and really how one of a kind of an experience that was in my childhood and, and adolescence. A- absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I see I see this recurring theme. This yeah. is interesting, is that, you know, the the you of the world, right? The you know, these exceptional performers. I see that there was moments in childhood mm-hmm. that truly shaped more so your belief in self, yeah. right? Saying that I have these abilities, I have these skills, mm-hmm. and I've proven it out through this board seat. I've proven it out by selling Tyrone, you know, some 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 cards. Yeah. Right. And and therefore that belief in self mm-hmm. allows you to then experiment yeah. when you get older. Yeah. So at what point did you start, you believe, experimenting with the type of business services that you now do with Spiro? Was that in college or right before college? Um, so that was in college. Okay. So my major um, is journalism and public relations. And then my minor is photography, which is a big hobby. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, no, that makes sense. Because yeah. you have, not like your... Your IG, like the photos are incredible. Thank Your photography you. is incredible. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And so, you know, really started honing kind of those PR and marketing skills in school. Um, and funny story, I was actually going to be an entrepreneurship minor. But, you know, how does it, Howard and HBCUs, I wasn't going to be able to get the classes before graduation. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm different. <laughs> there is no hanging back an extra semester for this minor. So I was like, that's just going to have to be a real world skill. So practice that in school. I had some incredible internships and fellowships in school. I was with Sony, uh, mm. music. I did RCA. I did Wizards, Redskins, Events DC. So I did all the, kind of all of like the typical HBCU comms major internships, yeah. uh, but it all led up to that really technical fellowship my senior year. And then I came out feeling like I had a really strong combination of skills. And it's interesting that my internships in school were all sort of entertainment based because my very first client was actually Essence Festival. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What year was was that? 2014. 2014. So, so, oh, okay. So this was your first client went after you graduated. Yes. Right after you graduated. Okay. All right. Fair, fair. All right. I want to talk about that because I was there. I went, I was at Essence. (laughs) It's, um, so so in school, you have all of these experiences. Yeah. What I find interesting about these experiences is that they are not within one discipline. Yeah. You know, they're multi like you're doing photography, right? But you're learning soft skills in terms of interacting with these other, uh, you know, executives, et cetera. Yeah. So then I'm curious why, and maybe you didn't do this, but from school, especially <laughs> going to that good, you know, you went to, you went to Howard, right? That good school, that, right? <laughs> Everyone is trying to find jobs. Yeah. Right. Everyone's looks like I need to find a job. I need to work for someone. Was that your mindset or were you already thinking, no, I'm going to build something myself? Yeah, I was thinking, no, I'm just going to try it out. Um, I'm going to give it a year and see what happens. And I thought to myself, you know, coming out of that, I mean, I didn't get fired, but they let me know it was a meeting <laughs> getting extended. <laughs> and um, coming out of that, I was like, OK, I'm going to give myself like two weeks to find a client. And I, vote, I don't find a client, you know, maybe I'll start applying for jobs. And then when I got that client, I said, okay, let me see if I can stretch this out a full year. And if I can do it a full year and support myself. Then you would. Ah, okay. So this is interesting. So you looked at it as just two weeks. Yeah. Right. And and that's it. Right. This is fascinating. I've heard this technique before too. Yeah. So, so you gave yourself two weeks. If I don't get a client in two weeks, that tells me this is not for me. I'm going back to Florida or whatever. Right. Well, I went back to Florida, but I was. All right, cool, cool. All right, so so now, in the two weeks, what were you looking for a client to? What were you looking to consult on? Just anything, or did you have a specific Uh, idea? So I, it's funny. I wanted to do uh, like copy editing and editing um, press releases and things like that. Like I thought I would be doing like PR, like actual PR, and I did actually land some like really small bodies of work with someone that. I occasionally still connect with and work with today who runs, uh, his name is actually James Artist and he runs a speakers bureau and he represents or he manages Belisha Butterfield. Actually. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, that has grown over time as well. So we stay connected, uh, but we have helped with um, you know, just little projects and things like that that summer. And then I was like, okay, I got to land something that's going to like 
pay my rent yeah. <laughs> for the summer and like yep. get experience is great but like I need some because <laughs> I was like uh, when I told my mom you know I knew that my parents would support me like mentally and emotionally right but like I had just signed a lease <laughs> they, they were not trying to pay those bills for it you it wasn't happening it was yeah. not happening so I knew I needed something and um, I reached out via LinkedIn now this is uh you know, LinkedIn wasn't in the beginning stages at that period, but it wasn't as robustly used as it is today. And okay. so I messaged like three or four people that I could find from Essence and two of them responded. One of those led to an interview and we did, well, it wasn't Zoom back then, but it felt like a Zoom meeting. Um, and they were ta- telling me about, you know, what they needed help with and all that good stuff. And they hired me on the spot. Ah, so you used, so this is 2014. Yes. Right. You go to LinkedIn. Yeah. You say, I need to find a client yeah, right within yeah. two weeks. Yeah. You're at, right. Boom. Hit three people. One comes back. You yeah. get the, you get the gig. So yeah. you get the gig doing what? What are you consulting for? So I was helping with sponsorship activation. So uh, um, that means that, you know, if Coca-Cola gives two million dollars, they've got to account for all of their deliverables. Um, and if they say, you know, we need 500,000 pamphlets handed out every single day. You know, it's understanding how do we get that pushed up? Where do the pamphlets come from? Where do they get picked up? How many volunteers do we need to do this? And so it was doing sponsorship activation. And that summer, you know, another pretty interesting and kind of transformative little short experience is that one of my big sponsors that I was working with was Liquid Soul, Liquid Soul Marketing based in Atlanta. And they do film premieres and screenings. And so that was the that was the first year that they had did it, I think. Um, and I was assigned to work under a fairly high, strung, and demanding um, executive at Little <laughs> A fairly high, strung. <laughs> yeah. And she was great, and uh, but it was it was a lot going on, and I had to keep up and and working on that ex- that project specifically within Essence Festival. You know, being able to put that on my LinkedIn and tell people about it. You know, I kind of ran with that for like four or five months. I was like, that's what I did this summer. <laughs> and that's how I got into work after it because people were like, really? Tell me about it. <laughs> wow. So so this is it. So you, so you came in as your own company, right? Because you're consulting, yeah. right? That's the first gig. But then how do you get the second project? Because that year seems to be a phenomenal year because you went from basically zero revenue to yeah. half a million. Yeah. So, so, so what's, what's, how do you get the second client now? Yeah. So let's see, how do I lay this out? So I came back super energized from Essence um, and I took that body of work and I ran with it. Like we had numbers, we had, this is how many people I worked with, how many pamphlets we handed out, how many screenings we did, how many people attended the screenings. So I was like taking credit for like a lot of, <laughs> I was taking credit for a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, and so the big difference for us, even now today is that um, we immediately, I immediately looked to team with existing firms in the area. So that's the firms, think Ogilvy, Edelman, even going back to Widmeyer and other small firms in DC, even it's partnering with them, assisting on their bodies of work, because out the gate, the first thing that we went to do was go and get our certifications, <laughs> you know, the woman owned, minority owned, all that good stuff. And at that time, it really was just me. So I didn't have a huge overhead. I, you know, billables wasn't anything where it needed to be, you know. Um, so I went to these other firms and basically farmed myself out and said, you know, if you ever need help, I'm here. And our big revenue driver for a few years was actually helping with ad spend. All right, pardon the interruption, guys. I just want to spend a moment to thank Switch and Board. It's a podcast studio in Washington, D.C., owned by a good friend of mine. And if you like the production quality of this podcast, if you like this track as much as I do, which I love it, it's all thanks to them. Now, Switching Board specializes in podcasters like me and you who are busy. We travel a lot because not only have they mastered in-studio production, guess what? They've mastered remote podcasting production. That's right. So you could be anywhere in the world and Switching Board has you covered. Now, if you want to learn more from Switching Board, I want you to go to paulcbrunson.com backslash studio. That's S-T-U-D-I-O. And let me put you on. And now back to the show. Ah, okay. So now 
All right. I, I want to get into that, but let me just ask this, is that how were you pitching yourself? Because I think how you were doing it then still applies now, right? So that- Absolutely. How, how did you pitch yourself? Because you are, at, at, I mean, you still are. You're, you're a young uh-huh. black woman. Yeah. You literally have only one line of experience yeah. on your dossier, right? Is Essence Fest. Yeah. But you, you're claiming that you brought everybody to Essence Fest. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> but how were you pitching yourself? What was the collateral like? What, how were you doing it? Yeah. So when we first think through the pitching, my biggest medium has always been LinkedIn, even today. Just like mm. old messaging people, adding anybody, talking to anybody that would talk, talk back and like be, just being willing to speak to people and willing to put myself out there um, and just willing to talk through what I know and talk through what I don't know and say, OK, I don't know this, but I'm willing to find that out. So I think uh, what was always appreciated is the boldness about the approach and then the willingness to learn and say, you know, I can help with this. And I'll be able to be, you know, potentially a subject matter expert on this uh, because at that time, a lot of businesses were still getting into doing social media. And here I was, you know, a young person that had been on social media for five or six years, you know, <laughs> and, you know maybe maybe uh, had some social media analytics coming out of Essence. And so, you know, those were the pieces that I helped with. And then that moved into the social media ad buying. Ah, I like it. I like it. So, so then you evolve into helping with ad spend. Now, is this just yourself now, or do you start hiring at this point, bringing on a, a team? Yeah. So I started bringing on contractors at that point because doing ad spend then and even now is actually not my strongest skill set. But especially back then when it was first being introduced, and when we think of social media, we sometimes don't realize like how new it is. You know, some companies are still, even in 2020, just getting on social media. So imagine 2014 and 2015 and people at that time still not even really grasping and understanding ad spend. So I did bring in someone at that time, uh, someone that I went to school with, actually, that just took a course on it. It was like, okay, I can do it. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You've been testing, you're like, hey, you know how to run a Facebook ad? Yeah, I can do it. Okay. (laughs) Literally. Man. Okay. So, so, so you're, you're helping agencies yeah. with, and I'm assuming you're helping the agencies with ad spend for their clients, for their clients, yes. for their clients. All right. Yeah. This makes sense. So, all right. I like this. I like the zone that we're in now. Wh- what's the name of our company right now? It's not Spiro. It was Koi plus. Koi plus. Yeah. <laughs> I, like that. I like that. That's your last name. I yeah. like that. Yeah. It was Koi plus. And okay. I have a really great website at the time. And so it was my last name. And then uh, the plus sign was right above the Y, like a little asterisk. And yes. whenever you hovered over like the menu items, the plus sign changed to other little symbols. And I was like, I really loved that. I just, I just love going to the website and hovering over it. I was like, I got to find a way to bring that back because that was great. And that was just a really forward thinking, you know, feature for a you know small company website in like 2015. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I like it. Yeah. So we're Koi Plus, we're, 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 we're managing the ad spend. So then how do we get to the 500,000? Where does that money come from, that first year in revenue? Ad budgets. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I see. We're being allotted funds to spend on behalf of clients. And at that time, it wasn't actually 100% social. So we did, even at that time, we did like a little bit on radio. Okay. Uh, radio ads and things like that. We helped. And then also not every client was like, you know, from a big firm. We helped because I was still like, you know, trying to make ends meet and stuff. So <laughs> we did, uh, I used to work with like party promoters <laughs> in DC. Yeah. When we first started. Yeah. Yeah. So, so therefore they put the money forth, right. For the ad budget. Right. So I see, I see where you're going. Like you built this, this space. driver. But you know, what's so fascinating to me about that story is that you built a competency of ad, did you know, ad sales? Yeah. But that's not your forte, right? That's 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 not your forte. So, yeah. you, but but it shows you how great of a leader you are because you convene the team. Yeah. To to do it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Got to learn and got to learn and got to pivot. Nice. All right. So now that's first year. We got five hundred thousand in sales. Not bad for first year out of school. So we're paying bills. Yeah. We're paying. Right, we're paying bills. We're paying bills. How much are you paying yourself at that point? Oh, man. 2014, 2015, I would say probably like 
low 100. All right. So here's the thing. You're out of school one year. Okay. Yeah. Most folks I know come out of school. They're making like 30,000, yeah. 40,000. <laughs> low 100 in DC. And then also, and you know, this is an interesting point that I would consistently put that 100 back into the business. Of course. So, you know, new oh. cards, new website, even wardrobe for meetings and stuff. Because, and you know, this being in DC, it's, you know, got to get your face out and shake hands and stuff like that, making sure you're at all the, you know, where you need to be in the space. Um, so it's like, I paid myself, it's like, how much of that did I really keep? You know, and it was like, yeah, not, not much. Yeah. So you, you bring up a great point, right? Because so you've made what a lot of people would consider to be quite a big amount of money, right? Yeah. First year. Yeah. But you would, would you say what percentage mm -hmm. of what you uh, so the hundred plus thousand, yeah. you know, that you paid, what percentage do you think you put right back into the business? Oh, man. 80 percent. Wow. OK, see, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, I, you know, making a lot of money, but, you know, I still had to use my mom's car to order wings and stuff. <laughs> it still felt very, you know, it was still tough. <laughs> Wait, you had to use your mom's car to order chicken wings, you're saying? Literally. Yeah, it was hard to order dinner all the time. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This that was my big thing. Like I would use her car to order dinner. Okay. All right. All right. So, so, but you're still, but you're running this business, right? Half, half a million in sales. So now, the second year mm -hmm. seems like things really took off in the second year. Yeah. Walk us through that second year and wow. then revenue at the end of the second year. Uh, second year was when we started doing federal work mm. uh, as a subcontractor, but still formally. And so our big project in 2015 that we started on that year was a really cool USAID State Department joint project, I think. And it was um, we were helping to maintain a database for organizations in the APEC region, Asian Pacific region, that help women entrepreneurs. So it was called the APEC, W-E hyphen A-P-E-C. And we Janelle, want to manage Janelle, social media. Hold on for a second. Janelle, hold on. Um, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. You were just basically a bouncer at Ghanaian parties in D.C., right? That's basically what you were. Keep it real. That's what you were doing. And... You were selling some Facebook and Google ads, all right? Yeah. Now you've got a federal subcontract subcontr and you're managing a database? How, what? Yeah, How yeah. So it, was, it was in partnership with other firms, I will say that. But I was, uh, uh, I was the primary person on maintaining the information in the database, organizing it, aggregating it, and then also managing the online community of people that wanted to learn about that. But yeah, that was a big jump. It was a big jump. But that was like our first, like, you know, serious body of work. Now, how did you get that? Because it's interesting. I see the I see the connection. Like I could see where your skills translate. But how did you secure that deal? I think somebody posted about it on LinkedIn. They were looking for a subcontractor and I responded. LinkedIn's <laughs> always been like my biggest tool for just everything. I even today, I like I spent a You 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 built a seventeen million dollar business from LinkedIn. That's pretty much what what you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So 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 someone posts on LinkedIn, yeah. they're looking for a subcontractor. Yeah. Now at that point, do you have your minority certification, et cetera, already? Or so we had all those that didn't. So she was a woman owned business. She was an eight A firm, and oh. I may, she may have been the subcontractor to a larger firm. So I was like a sub of the sub, but. It's, the work obviously trickled down because I got the work. So, <laughs> so our certifications didn't come into play for that because we were not like bidding for it. Okay. She had already had the work and used her certifications and her 8A status to get it. And then we were brought on to help with it. Got you. And for everyone listening, watching from outside the United States, essentially that 8A program's minority program, right? Where if you're bidding on on U.S. government work, uh, what would you say? There's a uh, not a higher likely, but there's a certain yeah. allocation that goes to yeah. 8A. Absolutely. Okay. And so there are certain agencies that will put out bodies of work specifically for these 8A firms and also specifically for women or specifically for veterans and things like that. And it's uh, for a lot of companies, it's a really big driver. Okay. Yeah, clearly. 
big driver for you. I mean, this this seems to put you on the map. So you're managing this database. Do you you're still running the agent doing the agency work of the ad spend? Yeah. Wow, this is good. And so we started, I think by 2015, I had like two consultants that worked with me. I didn't actually bring in full-time employees until maybe 2017. Wow. Yes. I had like consultants and contractors. And a big piece of that was not knowing how to, you know, and not wanting to mess it up. So I was like, okay, I'll just bring somebody in and I'll pay them, like, you know, once a month. And when I get a second to learn about it and make sure I want to make sure I do it right because you involve in taxes and stuff and make people taxes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait. And so okay. we just had contractors and consultants the whole time. Wow. Wow. So that's all the way up to 2017, yeah. right? But yeah. so you got at the end of 2015, how much do you think you, you made at the, by the end of 2015? Um, it was fairly close to it in between 500 and 750. Okay. So we're creeping up a little bit because yeah. of that contract. Yeah. You still have no full-time employees. Right. You probably pay yourself a little bit more, right? Which is good. Yeah, but probably not keeping money. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't really start keeping money until like a couple years ago. Fair, fair. Yeah. 2017 was pivotal for you because yeah. you started to bring on full time. Yes. So 2017, not that long ago, just three yeah. years ago. Yeah. How did the business evolve from managing the database to doing the ad work? Then what are we now doing by 2017? By 2017, we had landed a much larger federal contract. And, our, um, and so we'd stopped doing the ad spend for the commercial agencies at that point. Um, okay. Also, at that point, we were at the tail end of that database project that I had mentioned. 2017 or 2018 was the year we did that Global Entrepreneurship Summit in California, also, which I got through that same 8A firm. Uh, oh. So I worked with her for a few years. Uh, but the, yeah, the database project had tapered out. But then we had landed a really great project with the Department of Transportation, a client that we still have today, uh, another subcontract, and kind of built that over, over the years to today. Wow. Wow. This, see, this, all right, this is very, very impressive because in terms of the growth, right? I, and, I, and, I, and I see that uh, the number change. Sometimes it's the sixth, sometimes it's seventh. Yeah. yeah. What, in terms of, you're clearly, you're one of the fastest growing women owned companies in the United States, yeah. right? Yeah. Look at Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Second year we made the list and last year was number five. This year was number seven, uh, but both years we were the fastest in DC. Okay. So now we have, now we, so, so you're still doing government contracting, right? Whether it be a sub or primary bid, and then you're still in the private space, yeah. right? You're, you're doing that. Yeah. Did you make an acquisition in there? We did. Okay. You're out here. You're out here making acquisitions of companies. I mean, this, this is major. So yeah. when did you when did you do the acquisition? In uh, late 2018. Okay. Late 2018, we acquired not a communications firm, but actually a staffing firm. The reason being was because I wanted to understand if my ability to market and uh, just streamline operations for clients would be equally as effective for another company that I own that's not a client, essentially. So we went through the work of identifying, getting to know them, uh, purchasing a company. And this was a part of a larger group, um, so not me specifically. But when we think through operationally, I was the operating partner, or I am the operating partner. And at the time, you know, roles were really fluid. It wasn't really understood, understood you know, what was going on. Um, and who would be in charge of what until we got to the end of that process. And that's why I said it was. And so, but that became more clear over time. Yeah. Yeah. So you just make this acquisition. Yeah. It just happens. It just happens. But no, I, I, I think that is also indicative of great leadership where you realize you can get accelerated growth yeah. by acquiring. And I don't think a lot of, exactly. A lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that you could make acquisitions, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure it was yours was a sizable purchase, yeah. but you can literally go online and oh, make acquisitions, absolutely. you know, yeah, through, through different broker business brokers. So, so, so you make the acquisitions, right? So, so we love all this. We love all this, right? You have done extraordinarily well, right? With, with, without question. Yeah. But now I want us to unpack the why do you believe 
you've been able to do these things, yeah. right? So already what I've heard from your story is you seem to have very high self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you're Kanye West ego, right? <laughs> You're, you're, but but you seem to be you seem to be aware of the value that you bring to the table, yeah. right? How do you maintain that? Because yeah. a, I mean, do you agree? And then then b, how, how do you how do you maintain that? Yeah, I I do agree, and it's interesting because it's something that I've always known. I've had to build confidence over time, but even today, there are moments where I'm you know asking myself am i going to be the one to lead the call or like is the client going to lead the call like what, who's going to lead the call <laughs> i'm supposed to lead the call okay <laughs> and it's like should i'm telling myself or asking myself should i jump in here is it like should i you know should i be more forceful on this call just like thinking through things so as i think through self confidence the first piece is that you know growing up my mom always taught me that uh, there isn't anything in the world that i can't achieve or can't have Anything that I can think of, literally anything I can think of, I can do, you know? Um, so that was a big piece of it. And, you know, that's what allowed me to, uh, you know, go out for the advisory board or do the business cards or uh, one, of our, one of my big extracurriculars growing up was doing uh, public speaking competitions from middle school and high school. So getting out and, and talking to people and what was essentially performing monologues and things like that helped me to understand how do I communicate with people? Uh, because I always say, you know, even today, all of the different things we do, my biggest skill set is talking to people and and selling them on something. And generally what I'm selling them on is myself, you know, and uh, there's this, this uh, understanding that in the marketing space, you're not actually selling people an item. So like if I'm doing a Nike campaign, right, I'm not really selling them a shoe. I'm selling them a better version of themselves that they will be if they wear this shoe. You know, yes. if you wear if you wear this specific shoe, you'll be just like Michael Jordan. You know, so it's le it's less about the item and more about the experience. So when I'm talking to someone, or maybe even as we're hiring someone, it's it's I'm you know selling the company, but I'm also selling myself. Right, right. So now, how do you believe being a black woman? impacts how you show up and how you're received, especially at the levels of business that you're doing? That's a good question and definitely very layered. I think that people are often really intrigued. Like, who are you? Like, what's what's going on here? You know? <laughs> are your parents billionaires? Like, where'd you come from? Like, what's going on here? You, did you inherit something? What is this? And then we get into, you know, these spaces where I'm talking through things. And then, you know, there's a realization like, oh, she's just, you know, catching on to things quick and a, and a fast learner and really eager to learn and grow and do. Um, so it's it's layered. So I would say uh, there's often the question of, you know, where do you come from? Like, what is this? And who do you know? Who are you connected to? You know, people don't necessarily say that, but I can sense it in conversations. Um, and then I think, you know, the biggest, I won't say obstacle, but the biggest thing for me has been age, I think, rather than race, because uh, I'm fortunate to live in a city where there are tons and tons of successful Black people. You know, all of us that live here, you know, we're fortunate to say, my doctor's Black, my dentist's Black, you right. know, our contracting officers are Black, you know, everyone that we work with and that we do business with, for the most part, mentors, advisors, bankers and stuff like that, people that you raise money for in the PE space, all Black. Uh, what you don't see is super young people. <laughs> True. So, that's, so that's kind of been, you know, the differentiator there. But again, I think there's the uh, curiosity surrounding it and just wanting to know what's her system or what's her process. And you know, how did she really get here? The biggest thing is that I have a huge stomach for risk and I'm willing to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Mm. And I'm okay with failing. Mm. Mm. I have, I like I'm working on some stuff right now. And I mean, I've had a, a fairly interesting week with some things falling through and uh, you wake up and you say, it's okay. You know, the, 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 the world will not stop. Not be, It may stop, but not because of that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Yeah. You know, also when thinking about your quote unquote superpowers, yeah. I think a lot of people today 
are building businesses quickly through ad spend, right? Mm -hmm. I've interviewed quite a number of people who have phenomenal digital marketing skills. Yeah. And that's primarily been the driver of their growth. Yeah. But it seems like your growth has come from your biz, your business development. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are the skills required for that? Because you seem to have excelled using LinkedIn. Yeah. So you've got the digital side, but also offline in building these key relationships. Yeah. How how have you done that? What we unpack the skills yeah. in business development. So my biggest thing is focus. So once you landed on uh, maybe capabilities, or for some people landed on a space, it's really focusing on your first project in that space or focusing on honing your specific skill. But if you can nail down um, and be incredibly focused about your work um, and succeed at a very specific body of work, you do a good job at that one body of work and the rest of the work will come. And I think we're in an interesting space right now, especially in the communication space where people want to PR themselves and market themselves without actually having done any work. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's almost, and maybe that does work a little bit because, you know, someone will scroll past you and they'll see it. But then it comes down to what work have you done and yeah. what can you prove that you can do? And yes. if you can't do that, then, you know, maybe spending, you know, you know, maybe us doing Google ad spend and stuff like that isn't effective because then they find a great website, they reach out and they say, okay, where's your portfolio? If I don't have anything to send, then, you know, it was all for naught. So it's, it's focus and then doing a good job on one body of work yes. and allowing that work to speak for itself. And that's yeah. not in marketing, that's in a lot of different spaces. And I think we're in an interesting juncture in a lot of spaces right now where people want to talk about it before doing it. And I think that's just the nature of you know, social media. You know, speak yeah. on it, speak on it. Because I find that you, you know, I, I, I open saying that I think you're a hidden gem, right? Because I think there are a lot of people who are in your position who would be focused on making sure that they convey every bit of what they're doing on Instagram, every bit of what they're doing on LinkedIn, every, you know, driving up there. For example, how many, how many followers do you have on, on Instagram? Not many. 2,500 maybe. 2,500, right? Now, I think people would be shocked to know that, right? Yeah. Strategically, it seems like strategically, you have kept your head down, right? Yeah. Do you think that there's an advantage to not being as visible on Absolutely. social media? Okay. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's the element of surprise. You know, you go into a meeting and, you know, maybe maybe prior to that meeting or prior to that uh, interview for a body of work, they didn't know who you are. They Maybe they didn't know I was black. You know, I think I think I sound a little ambiguous over the problem. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how young I am or so, they don't know anything about me. Um, and then you come in, you just talk through the work and talk through what you can do. Um, and then the praise will come. You know, the praise will come. You don't ask for the praise up front and then try to do the work behind it. You do the work. And then you get the praise, then you get the followers. And, you know, maybe it maybe some point a magazine cover or something like that. I don't know if anyone's watching it. <laughs> yeah, like a gray magazine look. <laughs> We've got some heavy hitters. As a matter of fact, I just got off the phone with uh, one of the execs at, uh, at Essence. <laughs> yeah, who, who listens, you know, so you never know. You never know, Janelle, you never know. <laughs> so, so now, Janelle. You probably know where I want to go with my next question by the long-winded segue to prepare yourself for the heat I'm about to drop. Okay. Janelle, you're 27. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I recall that was right around when I got married. Yeah. You know where I'm going with this? I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, all right, the interview's over. No. So training, and I think I'm about to lose my so the reason why, though, I want to go into the relationship zone is because I think there is a lot of curiosity on the part of uh, the listeners of, of Better With Paul, yeah. both the men and the women, yeah. right, on, wow, you've built something incredible. Yeah. It's an entity, right? Tell us about your thoughts on and how you've managed your relationships. Yeah. Tell us about your thoughts on perhaps having children. Yeah. Right. Because these are real points of consideration. Yeah. 
as entrepreneurs. Yeah. So break it down for us. Let's see. So, um, so I'm currently single. Now <laughs> uh, uh, let's hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. <laughs> uh, man, you, you know what? You just lit the fire. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what you just did? That's better than Tinder, better than Mac, better than <laughs> fellas. She is single. Okay. Okay. So no, so I'm currently single. I did just get out of a relationship and you know, over the past, you know, I'm six years out of college over the past six years, I just experienced some really funny things being, you know, a really goal oriented, career oriented black woman, um, especially earlier when, uh, you know, I talked through 2014 and 2015. And it sounds like a ton of work. But there, you know, that was, you know, it was it was looking like 20 hour work weeks, and you know, a lot of hanging out and stuff. And so, you know, I would have guys that I was dating, not really understand, like my position, like, I don't have, you know, from from the outside looking at I don't have a job. And I wasn't really disclosing, like information about what I do at that point. Um, not even to, you know, friends and boyfriends and stuff like that. So they would see me, you know, I definitely had a great apartment. That was always a big thing for me. Even though I wasn't keeping a ton of money, I was going to live in a, in a great space. If I was going to be stressed out by work, like I'm, I'm sleeping in a nice place. <laughs> so I had a great place on 16th Street. I was like going out to eat with friends and stuff like that. And I would just be posting stuff on Instagram at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't have a job. And so it didn't make sense. And sometimes it still doesn't make sense to people. And so there would be a lot of questions like, what is it that you do? You know, I've got a nine to five, but you know, you've got all this free time. Yeah, nicer apartment than me. And uh, I'm going to tell you something that I haven't told a lot of people, okay? Is that a lot of guys that I dated between 2014 and 2016 thought that I was an escort. Because I always had nice things. It wasn't clear what I did for a living. Okay. Until I made Forbes under 30, people thought I was an escort. And like I used to travel a lot. And that was when, you know, the culture started shifting for women. Women started talking about getting flown out and stuff. So I would post like my travel pictures and people would be like, who's taking your pictures? Like, what's going on? It was like my mom. <laughs> like, my mom like, a stranger. Like, yeah. um, so there was like a big mystery around it. Um, and I think that drove a lot of people away because they just didn't get it. Um, mm. Sure. They're like watching this now, like, okay, well, it makes sense. Like she was not an escort. She was just working hard and wow. set her life up in a certain way. So it was very, you know, it was very like hit or miss for like an extended period of time. Um, I didn't start seriously dating until like 2017 or 2018. Um, okay. And the tough part for me, like, I don't know if this is inspiring to hear or not. <laughs> the tough part has always been, um, you know, I meet a lot of really great guys that have done well for themselves. And I never compare, you know, I never compare, mm. but other people will. Wow. Wow. They'll compare. And um, even, you know, a couple of things that I just come to my memory about, you know, it'll, the relationship will be winding down, you feel it coming and, you know, breakup happens. And they say, you know, well, I'd love to, you know, still be friends because you really inspire me. And uh, that's, that's interesting because I know it comes from a good place, right? Yeah. But then for me inside, I'm like, well, I would love to be in a relationship with someone that inspires me too. You know, I would love that. You know, and then sometimes, I mean, I've had folks come back around and ask for jobs and stuff like that. I mean, wow. done really well for themselves. And, you know, you know, even in the legal space, ones like, well, if you need a general counsel, let me know. And I'm like, well, thanks for the offer. I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> but I do appreciate it. And at the end of 2018, I met, end of 2018. I met someone uh, that I would go on to be in a, a relationship with for not two years, what would have been two years this fall. We just broke up. <laughs> we just broke up. Now, now, was this, was, was, was he older? <laughs> it was the hand, yes. The hand, see? Janessi, <laughs> I'm all in your business. It was the hand. It was yeah. it. All right, can I just say one thing about that, that image that I saw about the hand? Yes. All right, so Janelle, he was... 
30 years older than you. She was 30 years older than you. All right. That I find to be not surprising because of who you are. Right. So the longest relationship you had was with this gentleman's 30 years older. Yeah. And then even a couple of the relationships prior that were that didn't become serious, but were definitely less foolish were with guys that were maybe in their 40s or mid 40s. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Right. This settled in their career. You know, they don't care that I've done well for myself. They care, but you know, don't care enough to ask for a job. Yeah. There's there's been some age gaps. So, so now you're open, right? You've dated, but you're open. Yeah. Okay. All right. I have a feeling that there will be several folks who jump in and say, you know what the line's going to be? Fellas, don't do this. But I know what the line's going to be is I can inspire you. That's going to be the line. This is going to say, hey, hey, I'm going to inspire you. That's what it's going to be. All right. How conscious, though, are you about this? Um, is it something that occupies the front of your mind? Or is it just focused on the business? Do you think about both? Is your mom like, hey, like, hey, I need, I need grandkids. Like, I need- yeah. Um, yeah. So yes, yes to all of the above. You know, I do think of myself as uh, relationship oriented. You know, I would love to be, you know, married and have kids someday. Am I rushing to do it? Absolutely not, because I know what's out there, and I'd rather take my time and land in a really good place rather than rush into it with someone that's gonna ask me for a job two, two years into the marriage. <laughs> Oh and I, and let me give a disclaimer. I love a couple. I love the idea of couples that work together. You know, that's got to be like a joint idea. It can't be like. So Janelle, on, on that note, mm-hmm. this has been a common theme that mm-hmm. I've found. Uh, actually, unanimously with everyone I've interviewed, including people who are in West Africa, the UK, etc., is the common theme is their spouse is their business partner, yeah. right? My wife and I have worked together for the last decade. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Right. Matter of fact, we've started to include our, our boys who are six and nine into what we do. Yeah. You're, so you're right. And I see it happening for you. I yeah. definitely see it happening for you. I think your story is incredible. Thank you. And it's not just simply because of the, you know, being one of the fastest, you yeah. know, um, growing entrepreneurs yeah. of a company in the in, in really in the world, right? Yeah. It's, it's not about that. It's about the fact that you are focused, yeah. and you're focused on doing the work, yeah. and you're focused on letting the work speak for you. Yeah. That is something that is almost the antithesis of what we are told to do. What we think we should do today. Yeah. Today yeah. is. I'm I'm only halfway through the thought. Let me run to Twitter and tweet it out. I'll <laughs> have a photo shoot, you know, to let people know I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. I love that you are doing the work. I think that you're a role model. Mm-hmm. And I know you probably don't want to hear this, but you inspire us to know. You do. Because because you're 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 inspiring because we know that we can put our head down, yeah. let the work speak for itself. And guess what? the work will speak and we will be rewarded. Yeah. And you're a testament to that. Absolutely. And um, I always tell um, this story and I think, um, you know, I get a lot of uh, inbound questions from po- folks that are saying, you know, should I be worried about age? You know, I'm, I'm 30, I'm 35. I haven't done a quarter of what you've done. Should I be concerned about age? And I always say, you know, uh, how I told the story about how my mom moved to China a few years ago. So my mom retired and she finally is living out her dream and really hitting her goals after she moved abroad, uh, you know, in her mid fifties and she moved out there and she started a business out there and we're working on that today. And, you know, she's really, you know, it took a really long time to do. Um, So she wanted to essentially be a staffing agency for teachers abroad. So recruiting black people from HBCUs here in America to go to teach English in China. So she Love does it. that. And she's currently stateside right now because of the you know pandemic and borders being shut down and stuff like that. But, you know, 
is excited to kick off, you know, for a really strong school year, you know, potentially at the top of next year and start recruiting and stuff like that. And that wasn't something she did at 25, you know? Yes. Powerful, powerful story. Right. Powerful story. It's never too early or too late or anything. It's always the right time. It's always the right time. Um, but, but I tell you, I'm walking away. It seems like your mother instilled this in you. You walk, walk through this and that is get, put the head down. Yeah. And do the work. It's Just always the right time, but only when you are doing the work. Do the work. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Janelle, thank you. For real. This this is this has been um, shall we say, inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. No, this this was great. This was great. Wow. Wow. One of my favorite episodes, I have to tell you, and the reason why is because we were able to go deep talking about relationships. And this episode actually taught me a lot. It taught me that not only do I have this curiosity behind the building of the business, but the but, but really the creation of the person and how we evolve and how impactful our relationships, our romantic relationships are. And um, just be prepared for me to go a lot deeper on uh, everyone's relationships uh, in the future. Uh, but Janelle, thank you for being so vulnerable. Thank you for you know being the person that you are. We support, we uplift you, and 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 most importantly, really, thank you for teaching us. So, where do we go next? Right? We just came back from from Trini, right? With that good roti. What 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 do we do next? Now, where I want to go next is I want to go to New York. But in New York, there is someone I consider to be one of the top thought leaders on podcasting in the world. Now, this is someone who I was introduced through a mutual friend of mine. And I will tell you, she's the person to best educate us on the state of podcasting. And the reason why I want you to hear this is because I believe that podcasting is one of the most important mediums. I mean, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid now. You know, we're now nine episodes in. Uh, this is something that I plan to do for life. And I want you to consider it if you haven't yet launched your podcast. And if you have launched your podcast, she is going to teach you how to grow and monetize. I want you to get ready for our next session. And I'll see you then. Sweet and bored.